live with, as always, another special guest. This one, sunny Costa Mesa, my neighbor pretty much, right? Uh, it's, it's a beautiful day over here, Graham. I don't know, but I'm assuming it's probably beautiful over in Costa Mesa, huh? Gotta love those California winters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was all complaining over to Sean. He was, you know, raining, sl- snowing, sleeting, whatever it is. And I was like, well, it's uh, 75 and sunny here today, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, hey, I grind it into my East Coast customers when they complain about the weather. And I go, yeah, it was almost a long sleeve shirt day here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we haven't had snow for a little while. We're, we're all good. We're all good here in the UK. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, welcome, Graham. Uh, we've been chatting for a while. Like I said, Graham is, uh, you know, I guess technically my neighbor. He's maybe two hours down south from me at uh, Heritage Garage in Costa Mesa, California, um, and has helped me with my build more than he probably knows. So I appreciate you with that parts and um, conversations throughout the years that you probably don't even remember me calling. So (laughs) you and a few of those, so I'm never sure. I'm never short of an opinion. So that's, (laughs) (laughs) well, we love those on this podcast. So, um, I appreciate it. So uh, while you guys are listening, check out Graham, heritagegarage.com, Heritage Garage on Instagram too, right, Graham? Yep, I believe so. Awesome, awesome. I'm not, so. I'm not the big social media one. Susan's my promo, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect. Hey, well, I feel like we're missing out here, Mike. Graham's got it. Well, like on point, really, with this uh, social media. We, we we need to hire somebody to do our social media for us. <laughs> well, my wife's pretty good at social media. She she had this uh this um like seashell page. I think I mentioned this before. She like like that's her hot mine's minis. Hers is seashells and diving. We lived in Hawaii for a long time, and she just was posting and she blew up this seashell Instagram page for, to like ten or fifteen thousand followers. I was like, how the heck? How did you do that? Like, what the heck? It's crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm still dark ages. Susan has to make sure I've got credit cards or uh, business cards in my pocket when I go anywhere because people will say, you got a card? I go, no. I Here's some cash. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, do you still use the old credit card machine at, at your shop where you have to like... Not quite. No, we moved into the 21st century a week or two ago, so... Okay, awesome. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, guys, check out Graham's shop um, while, we're, while we're chatting here. Um, Graham, um, the first thing that I always kind of like to talk about is how did you get into classic minis? What kind of sparked that interest for you? See, now I'm really going to date myself because back then it was just another old car and they were cheap. So my first car just happened to be a mini by nothing more than coincidence. And the fact that it was... £2.50 getting dragged out of a Scottish junkyard, which back then was probably about four bucks. And my father was still pissed off because I paid too much for it. So, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the, uh, and the license plate number was EMU916B. And that's been damn close to 55 years ago. But as Sean will probably tell you, over there, people know cars by license plate numbers. And once they're ingrained, you never forget them. So. That's it. That's it. They're embedded in your brain forever then, aren't they? <laughs> so that was the first car, you know, drove that back and forth to work. I had to end up drilling holes in the floor to let the water out when it rained. Otherwise, <laughs> I'd get, I'd probably drowned in the thing. But, uh, you know, drove the hell out of that, bonded it up, patched it up, got it through MOT, end up painting the whole thing with hammerite paint, if you know what that is. That paint is used to, as a rust inhibitor for toolboxes, etc. So I I shot the whole car in hammerite, blue hammerite paint. Probably that was what held it together towards the end. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it met its demise in the wee hours of the morning in the Scottish Highlands when I fell asleep and rolled it. So that was. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, glad you're still here because I'm sure that was a, it was a, a close crunch one. of a. Yeah, Yikes. Wow. So what were you, about 16, 17 around? The, this was uh, the first 17, car? About 17, 18, that was the first one. And then there was a, a 65 green one after that, which I don't know the number of. And then, uh, so that was sort of the, the beginning of the mini thing. 
at the end, it was just a car. We screwed around with them. They were cheap. They were easy to work on. And I was a mechanic, so I had access to all the tools and the equipment when I needed to do stuff. So that was the beginning of it. And then uh, uh, when I was 20, I moved to Bermuda um, as a mechanic. So they recruited me, and I went off to Bermuda. And, of course, on a 23-square-mile island, nothing better than running around was a Mini. But there was another Mini in Bermuda. So. And what? A big, big gap after that. Man, that's crazy. We were briefly talking before the the podcast about how crazy it is that they're just all over the like Bermuda. Like, what is it? Where was the uh, Ravi? He he kind of got his start at. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the islands. Um, um it wasn't Trinidad and Tobago, was it? Yeah, Trinidad. Yeah, yeah. amazing. There was minis all over the Caribbean, mainly because of the size. Right. Uh, Bermuda had a vehicle size restriction, and the Minis fit that bill, of course, hands down. Yeah. So that was a fun car to run around with down there. So that was the that was the beginning of it, and at that point, I thought I was done with them, frankly. So there was a big gap. When I moved up to the U.S., I was working for Datsun for a while, um, and then sort of I don't know where. Yeah, nothing on the East Coast. I lived on the East Coast for a long time before we moved out to California. And somewhere along the way, once we got to California, I got the bug for a Mini again and went tracking one down and bought another basket case that lay in the garage for a while. And uh, <laughs> first baby was coming along in 86 or 87, no, and uh, realized that the budget just rapidly got redirected into baby from Mini. So <laughs> sold that off to a, a local guy here in California. But ironically, I now have that car back again. So my first, my first California Mini is now back in my possession. Wow! Which That's one is cool. that? It's now my race car. The, the the new the new white race car with the orange roof is actually my first Mini in California. Whoa! Oh, I had no idea. I I want to talk about that one later because I love that car. When I man, oof, that one gets me uh, hot and bothered for sure. That one's so good looking. So pretty much, I just tell people I've digressed in my childhood. I'm still playing with the same toys I started off with. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, right? No, we just no, get no. Uh... never too old for a happy childhood. Exactly. <laughs> so you were a, a mechanic, you know, pretty much your whole life, um, but you weren't always working on minis outside of hobbies. You said you worked at Dotson and stuff like that. What made you? kind of switch gears and say, hey, I'm going to start Heritage Garage. I'm going to work on classic cars, classic minis. Uh, it sort of unfolded. When I came to California, I was working for a Jag shop. So pretty much doing nothing but Jaguar at the time. And then in, uh, let me think, around 91, I decided to get back into racing. Now, take that back. So I sold that first mini due to baby coming along. That guy built it into a race car and invited me to go out to Willow Springs to watch it run. Oh. So went out to Willow Springs to watch that car run and instantly got the bug that I need to do this. So I came back and grabbed the, whatever it was, the penny saver before all the internet availability. <laughs> so raked through the penny saver, found another car, race prepped it, and then went racing with it in 92. So I was still working as a mechanic at Jag at the time. So the Mini was just a little hobby thing. And then uh, I went to the racetrack, got my clock cleaned by guys who are way faster than me. So, um, you know, then then the bug sets in and you start throwing money at it to go faster. Hundred percent, hundred percent. What what was the one? What was the mini scene like? What was the mini scene, and then maybe classic racing scene like in the early '90s? Like, you know. Um, well, because, Especially in Southern California, we know that there wasn't that many made here or sold here, rather. Um, a lot more personal. The You know, we talk about now with social media, there's not really a need for necessarily the club get-togethers for sharing technical information. Whereas mm -hmm. back then, it was the opposite. When uh, you know, many owners of America, Los Angeles, would have meetings, we'd have 50 people show up to a meeting because half the time it was picking up people's brains about things that were wrong with the car, big turnouts. So from that aspect of it, there was more 
get-togethers rather than doing it all socially. Now, as you know, you can throw a question up on the internet and get 25 answers. 25 different ones, too. <laughs> 20, yeah, exactly. 20 are wrong and five are questionable. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that was the old way of doing it. So club runs and get-togethers. We used to meet at uh, me and Ed's Pizza uh, up in Lakewood and uh, have huge turnouts to the point we actually outgrew the place at one point. So... So that was the scene there. Same thing in the racing. There was a lot more activity. The fields in each class were probably three, four times what they are now as, as vintage mm -hmm. racing has sort of tapered off to the degree that it has. So we'd have sometimes eight, ten minis all racing at the same time. With small numbers compared to watching the UK guys now who are still running huge fields of minis. But right. uh, the US was always a percentage of that. Man. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, you know, I was, you know, just getting old enough to drive and obviously, well, not obviously, I guess, but my parents didn't want me growing up in Texas, didn't want me driving a classic mini in Texas, the king of giant SUVs, you know, so I, I got up, you know, my first one was a Mini Cooper S modern mini, right? A 2002, which was still pretty cool for me as a first car. Um, but I remember those like meetups and that's when i first started i want to get involved there was a metroplex minis group and same thing they met at like a brewery pub pizza place type of thing and you know the internet was around obviously but it was more like the forum so it was a little bit slower communication and i remember going to a couple of those and it was it was the coolest thing it was the knowledge behind all the people that have been doing this uh, being around cars for a long time and and interacting in person is so much better. And it's, that's the tough part about nowadays is yeah, you can get instant information on these Facebook groups or Instagram or whatever. Um, and that's why I love podcasting because we get to talk to somebody like you, Graham, and it's like the closest thing that we can kind of get to interacting because for whatever reason, man, people just, I think it's coming back around, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's coming back around these meets and this old school kind of way of like, let's actually get together and talk instead of all this kind of internet stuff. Yeah, the problem now, though, is that I think in, I speak like I'm talking a generation apart, but it sort of is, is there's not as many people have the hands-on skills that used to be. So when we mm -hmm. had club gatherings, guys would, were doing all sorts of stuff and, and they had a lot of better, I think a lot better mechanical understanding than a lot mm -hmm. of my younger customer base do now. So... That's another whole direction of my, you know, pet peeves of lack of auto shops and high schools, etc., mm. or you know, not having to cut the grass on a Saturday morning and spend an hour getting the lawnmower started. But, yeah, you know, the, the the troubleshooting, I find myself now on the phone trying to help somebody walking them through it, and I got to get a lot more uh, descriptive rather than being able to walk them through somebody with a little more mechanical skills, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. you know, one of my laughs is that I'd say to somebody, you know, the car won't start. Well, is it cranking? And they go, <laughs> it won't start. Okay, I get the won't start, but does it crank? <laughs> and they, they can't separate the difference between cranking and running. And I'm going, okay, does it go, ning, 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 when you turn the key? You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get a five-year-old to start a car. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Sounds but, like yeah. Sean. Hey, hey, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I, you know, I, I admire the people that are willing to tuck in and get it done. And uh, so I've, I've got customers who are buying parts. I have no problem spending time on the phone walking them through some of this stuff. But, you know, there, there's also those that are you know, trying to rebuild the transmission. And frankly, they probably shouldn't be pumping their own gas. So that. You know, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Yowza. I'm sorry, but they're out there. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And, and being, and this is the, the hard part for me. And it's maybe kind of like that imposter syndrome type of thing is, you know, I didn't set out to do this podcast to become famous or Instagram famous or whatever it is, but it, it kind of comes with the territory because I have this podcast, people think I'm a professional or whatever it is. So I get a lot of people reaching out to me and I, I'm, I've been very mechanical. I'm no, nowhere near somebody like you that could run a shop and uh you know but i've read the haynes manual i've done a lot by myself but i i know what you're saying it's people will reach out to me and it's like you know, just you need to take it to somebody because it's very 
<laughs> it's very difficult to d- diagnose over the phone. Like you end up like making the noise that it should be making. <laughs> That's funny. The bad news is we see some of this. I, I mean, my big one is the number of cars that come in here on a monthly basis with things like front ball joints that somebody, rather than torquing it down with the right amount of shims underneath it, backed the nut off two or three flats and bent the lock tab over. And that Ooh. happens on a really regular basis. And that's, I mean, that's to me a death waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's yeah. scary. That, that As much of a pain in the ass job that is, <laughs> better do it right. Exactly. But the trouble is that, you know, people need to know the limitations and they need to know where to stop and either turn it over to a professional or these days, frankly, get on YouTube or get on social media yeah. and know exactly what you should be doing before you hurt yourself. I think, yeah. I think the biggest problem with a lot of this is a lot of the younger generation, I, I feel that there's a lot of pressure on them to do everything that they can rather than just holding their hands up and admitting, hey, look, I've gone past my limit. Please help me. Right. I, th- I think that's the biggest problem. It's just they, they feel that pressure on them. Yeah, a little bit of no fear, too. I remember one of my trips to the UK talking to a bunch of guys about a transmission problem, and I think it was the third time they pulled the transmission out. And they weren't pissed off about it. It was just, next weekend, we'll get more beer and we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it's a good excuse for a beer, though, right? <laughs> it was almost recreational that uh, yeah we're gonna next weekend we're gonna pull that transmission again like man oh man I'd be going off <laughs> nuts, so. yeah see graham over here and and it's beautiful driving weather now it's like i i'm i love tinkering on my car but if it's not running oh man i'm i'm dying i want to go pch i want to drive you know so that's funny very interesting thoughts and um you know that's one of sean and i's goals is to kind of start doing more in-person things. Um, I love, obviously, social media. It does bring us all together, uh, brings us, you know, to places all over the world to, to talk to, you know, guests like you. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if you've listened to too many of my episodes, but I went on a, a cool rally up to Idaho in my mini across Idaho, and then I came back down the coast, and it was the community that you're talking about. We all met up these small towns, amazing roads, everyone was helping each other, even though, you know, I don't know how to work on a VW. This guy doesn't know how to work on a mini, but we were sitting there, you know, trying to tinker, you know, things that broke on the trip up, you know? So, um, that in-person experience is. And that's what the classic car scene should be, you know, getting together, interacting, making these runs and being prepared. And I tell customers, I don't care how nice your car is. Don't leave home without your credit card and your cell phone. Uh, <laughs> they, are what they, they are what they are, and, and you, you can second guess it all you want. But there's no way you're going to know every little idiosyncrasy or what's going to happen with that car on the open road. Yeah, yep. so true. Speaking of that road trip, Graham, um, I was just finishing up a, a engine rebuild. It all went good, but then my my master cylinder was leaking, and um, it was like two days before I had to leave and I was, I had to work. So I couldn't come down during your, your business hours. So my wife drove down to your shop and picked up a master cylinder for you guys. I remember. Oh yeah. Oh man. (laughs) Great times. Well, it's like, you know, I arrive at mini meet usually, and there's usually people there right now, instantly on the scrounge looking for parts and pieces because, you know, they had driven the car to mini meet and things went wrong on the trip. So, Oh yeah. That's a common, uh, usually you try and pack a bunch of spare parts, almost like you go into a racetrack. You think, what's going to break? What should I take? <laughs> yeah, 100%. But, you know, so let's jump. Susan and I, I've driven my Mini all the way down to Cabo San Lucas and one of the rallies we did down to Baja, Mexico. And then we did, uh, you know, we did the Pan Am in 2012 with a race Mini and ran that for five days. That's what I wanted to kind of jump into, like your racing. I know um, not only just your um, – I don't even know where to start with it because I, I got so many things in my head from what I've seen you do with minis. Um, obviously, you just said the Baja, um, just track racing at Willow Springs with your, your race car. Um, and I don't quite remember, but didn't you also have like a, a, like a Salt Lake um, mini or, or was that a customer customer's car? Uh, it was a 
bit of an adventure that I got wrapped up into. There was a team from a New Zealand built a car and ran Bonneville. And yeah. then they, they end up grenading, I forget what year it was, probably like around uh, 2010 or so, they grenaded it. Um, no, wake up on. Um, 2012, they ran and they grenaded it. Uh, somewhere along the way, and this is actually quite funny, and social media plays a big part in this, is that the guy who was running the team went on the MOLA website and, and saw the membership at something like 3,000, which, of course, was all the Russian brides, etc., who'd logged into MOLA that we don't allow. <laughs> he thought we had this massive club following, so he came looking for club assistance or sponsorship, and I explained to him there was probably... 10 of us that were diehards and the rest were, you know, were not part of the club. But uh, through meeting him, I'd used a crankshaft that we had developed here in the U.S. with good success. He took one look at those and wanted two of them custom built for his Bonneville car. So our involvement was just arranging to get these fancy crankshafts made for Bonneville. And they took them to New Zealand, built engines down there that, this will sound like it's a BS number, but they were getting over 300 horsepower out of a 970 mini block. What? And, I think yeah. they broke the record, didn't they, with it? I yeah. think they got like 151.6 miles an hour. Yeah, and actually they hit higher than that, but didn't didn't back it up, so it didn't end up standing as as an official run. Yeah, because you got to do yeah. two, right? Yeah. You're right, you got to do two. But they, they ran it with a BMW twin cam motorcycle head on a mini 970 block. And that thing was just hairy scary, but it was, I think the high run was over 170 actually. Holy yes. moly. They That's ran insane. It on gasoline and then they did some swaps around and they ran it on, uh, on methanol. And uh, the thing was just outrageous. So my involvement was getting to go along just to watch this run because I've never been to Bonneville and everybody should put Bonneville on their bucket list. because It's, just it's a mecca, right? Oh, it's epic. It's just uh, something you'll never forget. Um, so my involvement was minimal, but the good part of it was when we're all said and done, the team had to go back to New Zealand and the car was left here to get the salt dug off it. And then uh, Jay Leno's garage got wind that we had the car, but these guys couldn't do the episode. So I got invited to be their spokesperson. So that was the involvement with Leno. And uh, because he typically drives a car during his YouTube videos, there wasn't a car he could run. So I took my green sort of pseudo rally car along and we used right. that as the as the second vehicle to do a comparison with and then also road test the car so and that wow. had other whole kind of worms for heritage garage <laughs> 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 you think your podcast get attention when leno speaks everybody listens i was gonna say yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i was gonna say we're uh small beans compared to getting on a, a jay leno show that's that was yeah, so I, cool I got, when i saw that i was getting calls from you know, Bollywood, India, but building cars, like, okay, we've got to just put a lid on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, man, that's so cool. Um, and you mentioned the green mini. That's the kind of the rally one that you've take, taken down to Baja and things like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, it was the one. I've, I do a lot of events in Mexico, just casual stuff in recreational rallies. And uh, one of my things I always wanted to do was go down to Guerrero Negro and see the whales where they do their, their birthing down in the, in the Gulf. Mm -hmm. And I uh, got wind that one of the guys from Mexico were doing a rally from Ensenada down to Cabo San Lucas. So we invited ourselves along for that. And we ran the Mini one year and an old 54 Ford another year, down to, all the way down to Cabo. So wow. How was that trip in a Mini? That's actually a pretty awesome trip. Um, I was more mad at myself for never having gone down Baja before then. Uh, you know, I always had this weird concept that, the Baja was like the Baja 500, nothing but dirt and desert, and it's anything but. Uh, down there, it's absolutely some spectacular scenery and pristine and, and great people to travel with. So we had a blast. And I don't remember if it was – I. Th you were in Mexico not too long ago, and I remember you were sending me pictures of, like, the road that you were on and these garages, and it was – yeah, like you said, it was anything but what I had imagined. I was like, dang <laughs> – a lot of people have got the completely wrong concept of Mexico. This, this uh, you know, border town mentality and, and the, the whole issue, how derelict it is, is anything. But you get down into the central part of Mexico and it's beautiful scenery, great people, and we've had some fun events. We've done three or four rallies out in the Yucatan Peninsula with the Rally Maya. 
and we've done, uh, I don't know, I've lost track, three or four in Puebla area with another good friend down there. So um, I've got a lot of strong people down there. And what I love about the Mexicans is they love cars and they love minis. So it's mm. very, very active community down there, probably even more so than here. Yeah. And uh, you know, they're super supportive. And sometimes we go there and Susan and I, are the only non-Mexicans that are there. We're like, okay. So like, <laughs> then we go, yeah, team no it's like that. <laughs> it's like uh the one of the best kept secrets right they don't want uh, a bunch of people coming down there and uh clogging up those roads <laughs> I, you know like anywhere else being a non-american i learned a long time ago when you go someplace you learn to try and adapt and learn to appreciate their culture and and then of mexico, course that comes, that comes back tenfold in mexico you show a little respect and a little a little interest and it comes back tenfold yeah okay. absolutely good fun Absolutely. We also did the the La Carrera Panamericana with a mini as well out of the Yucatan and ran that balls out for five days. So that was another whole adventure in itself. (laughs) I made track racing feel like I was going to Starbucks for coffee. (laughs) (laughs) So calm. And tell tell us a little bit about the uh, track racing and and kind of like your schedule throughout the year. Um, I've been trying to get into um, some of these classic at least classic mini races i know there's the the can-am one this year and i think tulsa um what how do you kind of get involved in this are you mainly just in california or are you kind of traveling around with some of your race cars no really just gearing back up in the last year or two i had a pretty long sabbatical away from it and the the mexico stuff was a good distraction from doing anything locally but a, a buddy of mine has been bugging me to get my car finished for years and like everything else the cobra shoes are the last ones to get fixed mm-hmm. so made a major effort last year to get a car built and get it finished and that's the white car with the orange roof meanwhile my previous car is still sitting in the rafters at home the, the orange one uh, but it took me a while just to get things geared up and back into it again so really just stepping up i did uh, the velocity race that uh Don Racine spearheaded as part of yep. the Velocity event. Um, we've done a couple of those with my buddy's car. And that sort of set the seed to get going again locally. So we'll see. See what this year brings. Probably end up doing four or five races. But the business, unfortunately, stops me hauling the long distances. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure I'm going to go back and do the Can-Am or not. But uh, that's another strong event. And... You know, the cool thing about racing is if, if there's more minis or more cars like yours, then the intensity of the racing increases. And that's the fun part. If you're the lonely guy out there racing against cars that are not in your category, they're either beating you or you're beating them. But when you start talking racing against another mini, it's it becomes wheel to wheel, and that becomes just awesome. The um, last race I did at Willow Springs with my buddy, we were our lap times were three thousandths of a second apart. Wow. It was like racing with a Siamese twin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the race cars. Um, what kind of, you know, we spoke to Don um, early on in the podcast and, you know, obviously how much money do you want to spend? Like <laughs> it can go infinite, I guess, really. But what, what do you kind of do to set up your race car? Are you basic? Are you kind of doing something special? Like you said you had a, crankshaft that you guys developed what, what are you kind of doing it's a well again money money is part of it but there's also a mindset mm. if you're going to build hand grenades with loose pins then you're going to spend a lot of money if you want to <laughs> just go out and race and come home in one piece you tend to be a little more conservative and i prefer to go down that path yeah. we're, we're chasing a you know three dollar flag or a five dollar pseudo gold medal so there's no purse at the end of this thing. In my, when I raced back, you know, 10 years ago, my kids would say to me, Dad, did you win? I'd go, yeah, I'm in one piece, and so is the car. So, yeah, I won. <laughs> and, and with that mentality, you go out and just have a good time. And it doesn't matter whether you're first or tenth. Uh, as long as you've had a great weekend and had a fun time with it, then that's all that really mattered to me. So I tend to build a little more conservative, get something that's going to last. You know, tearing engines apart every couple of races can be expensive. Having catastrophic failures can be even more expensive. 
And I know a couple of guys, in fact, I talked to one this last weekend that was so close to just throwing in the towel and saying to hell with it, he was done because he just was not getting the track time versus the workshop time. Yeah. I feel that. (laughs) Sometimes you want to stay married, so sometimes you got to... (laughs) A hundred percent, yeah. So, you know, but vintage racing here is a lot more liberal as far as rules and things are concerned, at least in Southern California. So within reason, you can build pretty much whatever you want to build. The, uh, you know, there's things in some of the other organizations and even more so in the UK that are a lot more strict as far as the um, engine sizes and ro- roller rockers and all sorts of deal. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of the, um, I do a lot of uh, racing with the keep and a lot of their rules and regulations are pretty much period correct. Um, right. And it's, it is difficult, you know, especially if you are starting to get into the sport, it is difficult to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there, there's room for everybody in the vintage racing, but, you know, unfortunately, I think vintage racing is is diminishing. A, the guys are aging out, and uh, sad to say, I think you can uh, probably buy yourself a race simulator cheaper than a race car, and when you wrap it around, a, you know, roll it over on a corner, you push the reset button, and I don't <laughs> quite have that privilege. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people, there's not as much young guys getting into doing the racing as, as I would like to see. Yeah. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You know, that's my 2024 goal to at least figure it out. Maybe by 2025, um, I obviously, I have two minis. Uh, my, I think I even reached out to you at one point to see if you knew any history on mine. My, um, my S, my Mark One S, apparently was a race car back in the day. Uh, I can't find any history on it, but, um, anyways, uh, that, that that's my goal, huh? Well, what you should do is just come out, come out to the yeah. track, events, and maybe even consider doing a podcast from the track. It would be fun. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. I was literally just telling my wife, like, that's my goal this year to go to some of these events and and just at least talk story and be around it. Um, even if I don't have a race car yet, um, but uh, it's a step in the right direction because I love it. I, you know, race minis is super cool. Race cars are just cool, but seeing the minis go around the track, man, it's so cool. So um, definitely planning on trying to make some of these events this year. And um, even if somebody needs a hand, I know Sean did a, a rally event, it was just cleaning the windscreen and checking tire pressures. And so super cool. That's it. We need to get you out to Mini Mustang as well. Yeah. But you know, the Mini Mustang event was, was a lot of fun. That was a you know a cool way of doing it. The, the whole setup at Velocity did. The, the driver facilities were awesome. So it, it made it just a, a whole spectacular weekend out of it. It felt like a, you know, I hate to compare it, but a, a Mini Goodwood to a degree because the drivers were treated well. The, the facility was fantastic. And... Uh, the, the racing was great. Again, a big field of minis uh, of various levels, and uh, we had a complete blast. At least I did until I bent up my buddy's car. But... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> racing. Racing. <laughs> yeah. Racing. Oh, last, corner, last corner, last lap. Oh, so it's lower, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like that last run down the ski slope when you break your leg. It's the same thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I've had. Yeah, just one oh. more. <laughs> yeah, oh man! Got, luckily, I've got a body shop, so it wasn't that painful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was kind of wanted to transition. That's a great little transition because I kind of wanted to jump back to just heritage and and maybe talk about uh, a little bit more about that and specifically of what you do. Um, Cause recently I didn't know, but um, have you always had the kind of body shop in there and done full restorations or is that uh, something that you've kind of added on over the years? Um, no, there's always been a body shop and the, um, <laughs> the mini workshop thing for me was actually, I've tried to retire on more than one occasion, which is what the <laughs> funny thing is is that I never really intended to get into minis in the first place. And when I built that first race car, I would go to the track and on Saturday night, there's guys next to me ripping off cylinder heads and pulling clutches and I'm sitting having a beer and, and 
people were sort of noticing, like, how come you're not working on your car? And I go, well, I did that last week before I got there. <laughs> and uh, I started looking after, you know, looking after a couple of cars. Um, so I was doing that. The Mini is a little bit of a sideline when I was racing, looking after a couple of other cars. And uh, and then I got tired of the mainstream doing Jag and things. Thought, well, I'll just get rid of all that, and I'll just settle back and tinker and play with a few Minis on the side. Well, that lasted a month or two until they were stacked out the door. And then the mini business grew and grew some more. Um, and I've, I've gone through that transition a couple of times. The building here is in two halves, and we were in the big half at one point, and a Porsche tenant was in the other half. He was looking for more space. Perfect. I'll downsize, cut back on staff, and I'll try and retire again. And now I'm sitting with 10, 15 cars waiting to come in because now the workshop is smaller than it used to be. So it's, uh, you know, there's a strong customer base that the, the Leno garage exposure was outrageous. It was just amazing. And it has been 2016. I did the first video with Jay and I still get people call up saying, you know, here, just watch the Leno video. It never it perpetuates. It just keeps on going. So, you know, that helped. Um, and I, I jokingly said to Lena one time, you know, where, where were you 30 years ago when I was building my business? And, <laughs> you know, and in true Jay sarcasm was, yeah, I saw you coming across the road. So it's like, <laughs> but it's, you know, we've always taken great pride in trying to do it right. Um, mm. And unfortunately, sometimes that's not the cheap way. So there's a whole different range of customers we deal with these days. There's people who, you know, don't flinch. It's, I think, an older demographic now that own minis from when I was when I was doing them younger. So there's a big range of people who have no choice but to do it themselves because they can't afford to go to a shop. Mm -hmm. uh, all the way up to people who, you know, don't flinch at numbers that make me flinch. So... <laughs> That's what it is. That's what this market is. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, my first mini was four dollars, and I've I've done hundred thousand dollar restorations. It's just crazy, crazy. Well, I'm saving my pennies to bring my S over to you guys and uh, bring it back to its former glory. So don't wait too these long. Days. I'm seventy this year. Don't wait too long. <laughs> I was gonna say it sounds like I better get it. Well, you needed it now, but sooner rather than later. <laughs> I think uh, my <laughs> wife listens, so, um, you know, yeah. babe, just... Uh... <laughs> my wife's here as well, so that's why we, there's certain things we don't discuss. And the quantity of minis I own and how much they cost are two things that are off the table in this conversation. <laughs> Understandable. All right. Noted. <laughs> well, in terms of, um, you know, your shop, is there, or realistically kind of throughout your life since you've been around it for so long, is there something that sticks out like a memorable mini that you've built or a customer one that you built that really kind of stands out that you'd like to share? Yeah, there's been, there's been, there's been good and bad. Um, memorable can be two ways, I suppose. It can be positively yeah. memorable and, and, uh, and, and not so much. I've been involved in a couple of cars. Um, I did uh, the beginning of the old mechanical pieces for Steve McQueen's car, which right now mm -hmm. is somewhere in pieces and, and mothballs from what I understand. So that never really came to fruition because we were not involved in doing the whole car. Um, the, the car we did the power unit for, for the Pan Am was just a great all-round story that all just unfolded like a, like a fairy tale, actually. This is the best way to put it. <laughs> It was the most bizarre circumstance. My shop is probably five miles away from Fashion Island. And this Mexican couple were looking for Fashion Island and found my shop instead. And that was the beginning of coming in to buy parts. This guy didn't speak any English. His wife translated for him. And away he went to Mexico with a bunch of parts. Told me he'd built this car to run the Pan Am. And the short version was he decided he was going to have me build the engine or initially he was going to buy the parts from me. So he sent me a list in Spanish that we couldn't translate because when you send the word piston, you need to tell me a little more about size, shape, compression ratio. And that didn't come with it. So his answer was for Susan and I to go to Cancun 
and look at all this stuff ourselves and make that decision. <laughs> and in, in doing that, realized that he had a bit of a museum that was a homage to the, the Panamericana, end up building an engine, flying it down to Mexico, flying down behind it, installing the engine, getting the car running, and inviting myself to come along as a mechanic. And he then said, well, why don't you bring your racing gear and I'm going to put you in the car for a day. And that just turned into be one of the most memorable adventures of my life that I'll never, ever forget because it just yeah. unfolded from a guy being lost in front of my shop to getting to race one of the most amazing races in the world. Wow. Uh, the core of Mexico. So that was a very memorable experience in general. Um, but I, I, I enjoy restorations when there's a big customer involvement because they, they see it unfold. Mm -hmm. And these days with being able to do stuff with email, sending them pictures along the way and letting them see how this is going to unwind. Um, the other one we did for a guy in Burbank, he'd had it in his garage for 40 odd years and wanted to do us to do the body shell only. And he was going to do the rest of it himself. I went to look at the car and it was so bad. It was rust holes in the roof. There was rust holes everywhere. And I took a look at it and I had a, actually had a body shell here that happened to be the same vintage, even the same color. And when I suggested we do a shell swap, he looked at me like I was asking him to, you know, donate his, you know what. <laughs> and he, he wanted his shell built because it had been in his life for so long. Yeah. And uh, he was part of that build all the way through to fruition and end up with a, a stunning car, which is they the, did the, the second show with the Jay Leno's garage with that island blue one. Mm. And you can't imagine the mess of that started with. Um, but you know, he got it done his way all the way through from soup to nuts and, and drove away a you know, happy camper. That's interesting. I always kind of um, wondered about that um, in, in terms of something so kind of personal to the customer but also in like my head, I wouldn't want to be up your butt like, hey, you know, let's do this, this and this. So I feel like it'd be a fine line, but that's really cool. You know, uh, I, I imagine when I get to the point of restoring my um, my S, um, you know, I have so many ideas in mind and that would be uh, really cool to work with, you know, somebody like you that has been around far longer and, and probably has some awesome ideas as, too, as well. So. Um, that's really cool to hear. Really cool uh, to hear. You know, it, it's important to have customer involvement for two reasons. One, they need to know the hard numbers up front. There's nothing more disappointing to me than hearing of people that get conned into doing <laughs> the word restoration is also very loosely <laughs> used. In the yeah. uh, get conned into a restoration, thinking it's going to be cheap. They get halfway through it and they wish they'd never started it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not the way. It doesn't matter what I'm working on a Jag or working on a Mini. That's not the way that anybody should be treated anymore, whether it's even remodeling a house. You better know the hard line and know to be prepared. And yes, there's always going to be potentials for things developing along the way. But mm -hmm. my job up front is to make sure you go into this with your eyes wide open. And it's not always what you want to hear. Yeah. As far as customer involvement, I have lots of people come up with ideas and things they want to do. I'm going to give you my opinion and tell you why it's a good idea or why it's not a good idea. Short of being something that goes over a line that I won't cross, I'll do whatever you want. As long as you understand, this is what my opinion is. So I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Rear wheel disc brakes are a big fad. People talk about putting rear wheel disc brakes on it. I've never encouraged it. In fact, I discourage it because it's a lot of money for nothing more than a show and tell at Cars and Coffee. Right. The, you know, we run race cars at twice the speed of anything you'll ever do on the road without the need for rear brakes. Back to the country, we often back off the pressure on the rear brakes to stop it being tail happy. So uh -huh. there's not a need for a rear disc brake kit, in my opinion. So I will talk you out of it before I'll even help you put one in. So, and there's many more things like that. And it's, a restoration on a Cooper S is a good example. You deviate from the color, you deviate away from originality. That's fine. But understand that if you ever go to sell the car, you're going to have some keyboard critic pissed off yep. because you didn't do it right. 
Yep. 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 Yeah. My uh, original color is Island blue and beautiful color, but it's like, man, oh, I really love some of those greens, but like, no, nah, I'll have to, I have to, I have to keep it Island blue. Like that's it's, that's its history. So. Island, but, Island uh, blue is a sharp color. In fact, I, it's one of my favorites. I've done a couple of Island blue cars and they, they are striking. Yeah. They do look real good. Yeah. Um, the last little kind of question about, you know, just in general, the classic car community and classic mini community, but where do you think it's headed? Um, and you know, cause it's obviously come so far. We've, we've mentioned social media and things like that. How do you think it's going to kind of play out with all this electric stuff and this and that? I know that's getting super deep, but you know, do you think it's kind of going to come back around and, and, uh, get back into that, that, um, actual face-to-face meetup? I think there's always going to be a niche for classic cars. California is not making it easy right now. And I think there's certain people not really thinking the whole thing through. And I came to California and smog was a big problem. I, and I, I, it's been admirable what they've done in the last 30 odd years to decrease air pollution with the volume of cars going completely in the other direction, getting greater and greater. So I, I admire the need for that, but I'm concerned that we're at the point where they're finding easy targets. And it's a shame that the classic car industry is one of those targets because I have to believe that the pollution that the classic cars are putting into Southern California has to be minimal by mm-hmm. comparison to the impact of losing that uh, ability in this, this area. There's a lot of businesses make money in restoration. There's a lot of reasons for socially for people to get out there and do things. And I think classic cars need to be a stronghold in Southern California, but I don't know whether their voice is going to be loud enough to make that happen. Uh, yeah. It'll, it'll always be here to some degree. Um, you now the day may come when the only way you get to drive a classic car is going to be going to a track day or something, but I, I hope that's not too soon. Um, so California to me has always been the Mecca for classic cars. One of the reasons that brought me out to California was, you know, rust free cars are easier to work on with, you know, January weather that you want to go drive your car, not one yep. how you're going to get past the driveway. So it's, I don't really want to see it die and I'm hoping the car culture will have enough political clout to at least make some changes that will allow us to continue and enjoy our enjoy our sport as long as we need to very well said well said it's not just california though is it really i mean you look at what's happening in in the uk and london um with the ulez zones <clears throat> you know you've got uh mini to bright uh, sorry london to brighton run now cancelled um brighton speed trials are now cancelled as well it's it's happening all over yeah and that's to me one hand isn't talking to the other there's, there's people with the best of intentions looking to do clean air, not realizing the impact that it's having. And, and things like the, you know, the London to Brighton are such a nostalgic run. There's no way that whatever they're putting, what contaminants they're putting into the air on that given day are making the impact necessary to have it be canceled completely. That's just, that's it. That's just, just ridiculous. Complete extreme end of it, isn't it really? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You get, you know, we have fires here that are putting more pollutants into the air in one fire than our classic cars are doing yeah. in a year. Mm-hmm. But, yet, but yet we're the easy mark. You know? Yep. Yep. So that's, that's another whole political discussion. Yeah. That and cows farts. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> oh man. Great insight, Graham. Um, I was mentioning to you, like I said, uh, I know that you're a new listener, so thank you for that. But uh, we do a fun little thing on the show called the Patty Probe, and it's just a fun set of questions for those that are also new listening. Uh, Many related questions, controversial or not, I don't know. We'll see. Um, So, Graham, are you ready for the Patty Probe? Let's give it a try. Yes. For somebody that has been around minis for quite a long time, what is your favorite mini variant and why? That has changed probably over the years. 
I think initially it had to be, I wanted a Cooper S, I wanted a Cooper S. Um, but I actually have a weird one that has become very attached to me. I, I bought a, a Clubman wagon, of all things, um, on Bring a Trailer a few years back. And uh, cars, to me, are kind of weird. I get in a car and I drive it, and it, we either like each other or we don't. <laughs> and, uh, and the Clubman and I get along. Uh, as did my green rally car was the same way. I bought it with a bad engine with the intentions of just fixing it and flipping it. But for some reason, the car spoke to me. And uh, the Clubman's like that too. And it's useful. The, the estate wagon piece of it's great because I can yeah. throw luggage in the back of it or throw club paraphernalia in the back of it. And uh, it's perky enough. And I do enjoy having that just a little bit of extra engine room when I want to work on it. Yeah. So, yeah. so right, now, right now, the Clubman is getting to be top of the heap i think you're the first one that has ever said clubman and we we get a lot of like uh you know cooper s obviously moke something yeah. but eh, club hey i like clubman wagons i have a moke as well we actually use the moke as a pit vehicle at the track <laughs> oh dang that's cool <laughs> they're supposed to be golf carts only but we managed to convince the staff at laguna seca that my moke was close enough Yo. <laughs> yeah that's pretty yeah. <laughs> Just send them that like electric moke kind of golf cart <laughs> was, thing that they have now. That's the same thing. <laughs> I think I think the first time out at the gate, we bribed the guys with cookies or something at the gate, and then we made sure they paid attention to who we were, so we could actually drive the moke out to the because they had us uh, parking the trailers on a different lot, so we had to run back and forth to the trailer for parts and pieces. So we got to use the moke instead of having to use a golf cart. We that's that's super down. cool. We pretended we were a golf cart by going 20 miles an hour. <laughs> I love that. That's cool. That's cool. And, you know, and, the, and the race cars, it's the same thing. This, this car, the one I'm running right now, I think as I touched upon, was actually my very first Mini ever in California. And it went full circle. And it was actually pretty much run down and beat up flying out in Temecula. And uh, bought it back, and it sat here for a year or two up in the rafters until I finally stripped it down. And, and I'm lucky to have a really good crew working for me. Um, Larry's been with me for over 20 years, does engine building, does all my initial inspections and, and checklists. And then another guy, Zane, who's been with me a few years now and uh, enthusiastic. And he was probably the one that regenerated me to get the race car done. And when I start to get you know, sit back. He's like, wanted to give me a poke. Like, come on, come on, we got to get this done. So he did most of the build. This current car was mostly his handiwork. It's been my my oversight and input, and uh, I'm real happy with the result. So uh, it's I'm beautiful. Gonna, I love that car. Yeah, I got you know five guys here, and they're they're a good team, and uh, very very adequate, and get everything done, and then. And my wife, Susan, is always the one that says, you know, go do it, go do it. You're not going to be younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good honor. Good honor. Uh, let's the... see here. Oh, go ahead. I said she doesn't know the price of a set of race tires. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just don't look. Just don't look. <laughs> Different credit card. Different credit card. Yeah, there you go. It's, like, it's, a, it's a business write-off, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. That word write-off comes up a lot, but you got to make the money to have the write-off. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, let's see. What's uh, what's maybe one of your favorite modifications that you um, that you do to minis that you think might transform it? Uh, probably in the handling. I have a lot of people that, that want to go fast, but there's no reason to go fast if you can't handle it and can't corner it. And it's always a common question. I'm sure you get it when you go to car shows. You know, how fast is this? But really, yeah. it's not what minis are about. Um, it's, it's the fact that they can corner like they're on rails if they're done right. And from the factory, they're, they're not. It's as simple as that. This car was never designed to be fast. It was supposed to be some old lady's grocery getter in 1960 or 1959 you know, as a... As a uh, answer to the Suez Canal fuel crisis. So the whole concept of a mini being what it is, is just so alien to the initial design. So probably going into doing adjustable suspension, getting the caster camber dialed in all the way around and getting to the point where the car is, is predictable is really the best word I can use. So when you go into a corner, you can set the car up, have it be stable and have it 
feel its way through the corner, not fighting you like a you know, three-legged table. <laughs> um, and that's a lot of the problems. If they're not set up right, they're, yeah. they can be evil because yeah. they, they don't give you much opportunity to correct. It's a, it's a small car. When it goes loose, it goes loose fast. Yeah, I've had it to me a couple of times on, on yeah. some very greasy roundabouts. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so suspension mods, getting the car so that the thing is all set up properly, I think is more important than initially than the speed because you can then carry what you've got through the corners. I've had to, you know, you can have as much fun with an 850 or a 998 on a twisty road as you can with a 1275. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll never forget when I finally um, got all my suspension adjustability um, mods kind of done and I took it and got a, um, an alignment and wow the difference in oh man it was just night and day it was amazing we amazing do, we do quite a bit of spring kits the steel springs which again is another controversial one I, I <laughs> yeah. guys you know poo-pooing them like they're horrible and i have done i mean by exaggeration probably hundreds over the years and i don't think i've ever had a customer come back and wish they hadn't done it to the contrary i usually get the phone call that that says I should have done it years ago, or I don't know who got my car, but I'm keeping <laughs> this one. Um, and it, it is one of these things until you do that transmission transition from that buckboard ride to something with some comfort to it, some compliance to the suspension, you have no idea. And, and when it's done right, it's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. I mean, suspension is often over i mean that was my thought initially with the mini i was like i'm not going to make this thing fast like uh, okay cool switch it to hif 44 or put a free flow exhaust but like what, what am i getting minuscule response or something i don't know so suspension was definitely a game changer i agree with that that's i mean i i remember racing late years ago in vegas in the infield course which is just nothing but twists and turns and well, with a race mini with probably half the horsepower of a Porsche 911, um, you know, we had a dogfight, but it was, he'd blast past on the straightaway and you, yeah, okay, I'll see you in a minute. I'll be right there. And, you know, he's in the middle of a corner with a front wheel off the ground and you go around on the inside and wave <laughs> to the guy. Almost, you know, you know, next thing he's blasting past you on the next straightaway. And it, it was amazing to see that cornering, cornering ability versus horsepower. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This one, uh, this one, I think is going to be a good question for somebody that owns a uh, classic mini shop. What is the most pain in the ass job when uh, working on a mini? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because we, we all we all have our jobs that we hate and jobs that we like. And uh, Larry, that works for me, loves to do door panels. Has no problem with Mark One. Mark one door panels and putting the fillets in, I just find frustratingly tedious, not necessarily from skill level, but just from lack of patience. Yeah. And he hates to do the chrome side trim, the plastic <laughs> side trim. And I have no problem with it. So it's so funny that if he's working on a car, if I'm working on a car that needs door panels removed, I don't even touch it because they'll end up in the middle of the street <laughs> or the dumpster. And uh, when it comes to the chrome trim, Larry won't even touch it. So he leaves it to me to do the chrome trim. And I'll sit there and play with it, massage it, and get it done yeah. on a car. So I think we all have our, our thorn of something that we hate. Uh, early radiator removal with a two-piece shroud mm. is also just a, you know, a Band-Aid waiting to be needed. So <laughs> it's you know, not the easiest thing to work on, but they're, you know, they are what they are. You learn corners, you learn, you learn quirks. Um, and over time, you just either love it or hate it. Yeah, I always tell people it's they're like simple, but not necessarily easy yeah. to manage, right? <laughs> and, the, and the power unit, especially, there's people I've other shops call me, and because of that configuration of having the drop gears, there's things that you better know, and you better mm -hmm. know how to do it. Otherwise, it's going to get expensive fast. I've had more than one customer, you know, trash a transmission case because the drop gear idler didn't get set up properly. You know, a silly little thing that when you know, you know, but if you do it wrong, it's catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so, some tolerances in there that people often overlook. Right. And the book yeah. isn't always the answer because there's certain ways of doing it to let you do it right, and it's not always something you can find in the book. So, yeah. That's why, as much as I try not to get sucked in too much to the question and answer thing on the various forums I'm on, um, if I see somebody either putting out a bunch of misinformation, I'm pretty quick to try and correct it because, you know, I think when people want to learn, then you need to be there and, and share that. I've always mm -hmm. thought about if I ever slowed down enough, which doesn't seem to happen these days, is do a, you know, a Saturday school or something to yeah. put, some, put some basics back into some of the club guys who want to learn things like ball joints, wheel bearings, brake adjustments, stuff that is simple, but yet do it wrong and it, it hurts. Yeah, that's a, actually that's a great idea. That's really cool. I, I think that would um, that would go over well. I know I would certainly be interested. Um, so that's that's cool. I like that, uh, Graham. I like the end on this one. It's always uh, a fan favorite, and I one of my favorites is if you could have a drink, a coffee, beer, tea with one mini celeb, who would it be and why? <laughs> hmm. Tequila with who? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> um, actually, I think I'd go back far enough that I'd like to see John Rhodes in action. Uh, I, I watched some of the footage of that and uh, seeing him throw cars sideways with smoke streaming off the tires not just a little squeal but literally looks like he's <laughs> drifting um knowing he's running some ancient old rubber that's nowhere near <laughs> as sticky as the stuff we run it today uh i think he would just be a complete character to sit down and have a drink with because he had mm -hmm. to just be a, he just had to be a crazy old bugger a young bugger <laughs> back in the day so <laughs> yeah and it's yeah anyway in the modern version of that it's like watching Nick yes Swift. You yes, know, I, I love watching Goodwood and seeing Nick, who, who I know personally, chuck a car around, and I'm thinking, what tires are he running? What pressures he got in those things? I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking at trying to to analyze how he's able to do what he's doing because I don't know I've taken it to that level. We tend to be a lot more stable, and uh, watching what they're doing and how he's throwing it through and catching some of these drifts is pretty remarkable. He's a so they're both in that same level of awe in my mind. I want to just uh, get inside their head. Yeah, I love those answers. And, and selfishly, like Sean and I, you know, realistically on this podcast, that's like, that's our, our mission. Like, who do we really want to talk to in this community? Obviously, we get the enthusiasts. But when we get somebody like you that has been around for a while, like you're, you're on my list, right? And Nick Swift's on my list. And John Rhodes... I never thought he would have been on this podcast and, you know, Mike Guido from mini sport was able to hook that up. And I was like, <laughs> is this real? So um, if you guys haven't listened, go check out that episode. It was really interesting. You know, back in the sixties when they were testing the envelope of this stuff, I mean, can you imagine what it felt like for guys like Paddy Hopper to take a mini and start chucking it through the snow? It was, just, <laughs> it was such a remarkable little car in the 60s, it was still taking the world by storm. Um, I mean, I'll give you a quick, I, I remember coming home from work one night with my little 850 puddle jumper with snow tires on the front, probably only, because that's all I could afford was two of them. And uh, <laughs> I came around this corner, there was a hill, and there were cars scattered on both sides of the road, all stuck in the ditches. And my father was standing at the top of the hill, waving to me, because he knew who I was, to get the hell off the road and I end up taking that mini and snaking it up the hill between all these cars, throwing rooster tails in the snow off my front tires all the way to the top of the hill, much to my father's, maybe maybe impressed, but I think he was disgusted more than impressed. <laughs> I didn't listen to it. But I thought there were probably five cars stuck in the ditch, and this little puddle jumper of mine just snaked its way up through the middle of them and parked at the top of the hill to help the rest of the people push their cars. And... <laughs> That had to be what it felt like for you know, Hopkirk to take the Monte Carlo and see these big cars that he just absolutely killed with this little shoebox that was not supposed to do what it did. So you know, that was just an era beyond anything yeah. that 
many you guys could live through. Yeah, it's hard to imagine for sure. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I love that question because it always gets me thinking about that, man. It would be incredible to go back in time and, and watch that. Uh, amazing. Wow. Well, Graham, I really appreciate you being on. I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while. So thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. Um, everyone go follow Heritage Garage, uh, heritagegarage.com. Um, anything else that you want the people to know? No, I, uh, you know, available when people need help and, uh, I'll do it as long as I can keep on doing it. And hopefully I can find some young blood to pick up the baton when I'm done and continue this legacy. Awesome. We love it. We love it. Well, maybe I'll see you at some of the races or local show some sometime. And, um, Sean, you got anything you like to cut us off at the once for once, Mike, you're safe. (laughs) (laughs) If you, want to, if you want to come out to the track and see see the minis run, then uh, you know get in touch with me, and I'll let you know the schedule and let you know who I know is going to be there. So, I will 100% do that. Yeah, please do. It would be great to see okay. you. Anybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. I will catch you on the next one. Bye.